0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم and لله dear كثيرا to be honest, uh, I've been for the since I arrived here. I've been hearing a lot about this institute that you guys have worked very, very hard to get into. I'm not sure if I envy you or if I feel relieved that I'm uh, I i do not have to do this all over again. Uh, PhD uh, journey is extremely a lonely one. Do you guys agree? Is it an exciting journey? I mean, is it a lonely journey or what? Some of you are excited about it. Michelle. It's, uh, it's something you want to do when you actually start doing it, you can't wait until it's complete but in the process of the three or four years this was my case, I had a full-time job, I had four children and I was doing a PhD at the same time I was an imam in the masjid and I was doing a PhD and it was tough to try to balance the research my professor, he used to send me a message very formal message. Abdur Rahman, you promised to deliver the next chapter by you know the next day. So then I would quickly draft the chapter and send it to you After a few months, I when I met him again, I said, Professor, he was he's professor. he is a Muslim professor. it's in in as University of London. I said, um Professor, you don't need to be very formal with me. You can just tell me where's the work? you don't need to be very formal with me, I want you to just break the ice so uh, it's because I have so many other things that were going on at the same time it was very difficult to commit here and commit there so eventually in the final year I decided I need to get this finished because it's like a burden now so then I worked very hard and I got it done Alhamdulillah and uh, in the viber uh, after I submitted it uh, two professors uh, in the waiver process, Alhamdulillah, one of them, uh, one of them said, "I'm." He was an older professor from another university. He said, "I'm really glad that I've been able to read something like this uh, before, you know, before I leave academia." So he was, Alhamdulillah, he was impressed by it because you know when you go to the waiver, and if they tell you you have to do a major rewrite for 18 months. I didn't want to touch my PhD again. After I finished it, I didn't want to touch it again. So Alhamdulillah, he passed it with minor corrections, three months. Alhamdulillah. uh, So I I pray that Allah make it easy for you as well. But the best part of it, which I miss, is the concerted research that you're able to do when you're in the midst of it. Because it's about, a PhD is supposed to be a full-time job. So, You should essentially close out everything else and you should be focused. And that's really the only time you can really... uh, the thought process develops. That's why PhDs are never done in one year because you, you can't mature in your field in one year. It takes two, three years to let your ideas develop and mature and come to some kind of fruition. So I can understand why it's four years or three years or whatever it is, I can understand that. And I wish that I could do it. Now, I can only make an effort to undertake any kind of serious research when I'm writing a book. Are you okay? Okay, so, Allah Subhanahu Allah Subh'ana Wa Ta'ala says, وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنَ إِن مُؤْمِنِينَ True believers. That, obviously, is a very general statement. How do we understand that? How do we implement that? How can we make it work in a practical sense? The other thing that Allah, the Prophet sallallahu wasallam said إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَتَبَ الْإِحْسَانَ فِي Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written excellence in everything. And then the Prophet gave some examples. That when you do this then make sure you do it properly, when you do this then you do it properly. Ihsan, the concept of Ihsan, comes from the root in Arabic, every word in Arabic, every name in Arabic, every term in Arabic comes from a root letter. Root, three root letters. So let me give you an example. Uh, what's your name? Yeah, as long as you've got an Arabic name, or a Persian name. Ashraf, Ashraf al-Haq. What's well, that supposed to mean? Ashraf means the most noble, al-Haq of the truthful one. That's a good example. Ashraf is an Arabic term, al-Haq is an Arabic term. So Ashraf comes from the root letters shin ra, Fa, sharaf sharaf means nobility ashraf means the most noble right uh what's your name yeah muntasir or muntasir okay you better say muntasir with a because it makes a difference arabic is a very sensitive language in the quran we have the word al بقلب سليم. بقلب سليم. If you read it in our Indian way بِقَلْبٍ You mess up the meaning big time Do you know what the difference between qalb and kalb is? What? Heart and dog So it says that you won't be successful in the hereafter unless you come with a sound heart And unfortunately some of us read it except with a sound dog you don't want to come with a dog in the hereafter. I mean, that's the last thing you want to come with. So, Arabic is very sensitive. For example, if you look at the word Malikiyawmiti, uh, Malik, it's written Mim Lam Kaf. Do you have a ball here? No. This is a wedding bowl. You don't have balls in wedding balls, right? Mim Lam Kaf. Mim Lam Kaf, you can read Karas fatah, Malik, which means owner oh no, or sovereign. You can read Malik which basically means king, again. You can read it milk, which means ownership. You can read it mulk, which means sovereignty. You can read it malak, which means angel. From three letters, you can make so many different words. Arabic is very sensitive. So, the word ihsan, ihsan comes from the word husn. What does husn mean? We use that in Urdu, it means beauty. Ihsan is a transitive term. It means to do something, to create husn in something. Anything in the form of if'al, ihsan, right? Ikram, it means to do something to someone else. Ihsan means to deliver husn, deliver beauty, deliver excellence, to perfect something, to make something accomplished, to enhance something. That's what the word ihsan means. Very comprehensive term. The Prophet said, Allah has prescribed upon you ihsan excellence, creating beauty, creating enhancement uh, in everything, whatever you do. Whether that be, your, if you cook, if you want to be a, a chef, proper cuisine, you know, uh, you need to have excellence in that. Uh, that's why, mashallah, England, the queen had her 70, 70, uh, your queen, not just my queen, your queen as well, the British Commonwealth, right? She had her 70th, uh, 70th anniversary And do you know who cooked? Do you know who baked her cake? It was a hijabi woman She baked the cake for her very special occasion because In England we have this show called the Bake Off, the National Bake Off All of these bakers they get together, they compete with one another And this Muslim woman with a hijab and she won So then she was told to bake the cake That's what we call it In everything a mu'min is supposed to do ihsan is supposed to deliver excellence, whatever that be, right? Not to the level of narcissism or, you know, there's an extreme in everything. I am a perfectionist. So when we're public, I'm a publisher. When I'm publishing, I'm fussing over the aesthetics, the beauty. Some people think, why do you have to bother with this? Optical alignment and all of these curling between letters. That's my feel. I love it. it. I enjoy it. Some people say, why do you bother? Just push the work out. In a, you know, even if it looks sloppy. I don't believe in that. I think the message of a book can be delivered much further when you have ihsan in it, when it's beautified, when it's perfected, as far as possible. Nothing can be perfect in this world. What's amazing is that sometimes we publish a book. I've had several editors and proofreaders be over it, really good proofreaders, and we still find mistakes out that's just human, we do to the best of our ability, that's all it is. Right, we can never reach perfection, so there has to be a limit to these things. So, I commend you um, for all the dis- uh, for all of the description of people, you've jumped through many many hoops, very competitive, uh, you've played a lot of uh, competitive, uh, uh, you've been in a lot of competitive uh, uh, competitions and other things to be able to get to where you are so I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take you now even further and to give you perfection in everything in your work and uh, the only thing that is required for anybody with perfection is that they don't use their perfection they don't use or I would say they don't waste their ability in the wrong thing um, a friend of mine, we did, we memorized the Quran together, gifts, very intelligent. Uh, I, after we finished it I went to do Ali class. Right? I went to do Ali class. He went to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to study further to become a medical doctor. So he went into medicine, Liverpool University. He finished his medical degree, he practiced for a while, he even did a specialization in tropical medicine, everything. Just last year, he called me, he said, look, I'm giving up this whole thing. I want to be an alim. Now, he wants to be an alim. Find me something relevant. Find me somebody that can teach me at my level. Right? Because, uh, subhanAllah, because I don't want to do medical, I don't want to be the medical field anymore. But mashallah, now, there are several, many, many students who are doing PhDs at Imperial College, there's a Madrasa I teach in it's an evening Madrasa, I in class. Courses seven or eight years. We have at least two or three students who are uh, doing PhD or postgraduate uh, in Imperial College and UCL and other places. They're doing that and they're also coming to study the Deen. And they make very good scholars, mashallah. Because they've learned the thinking process. Right, through academia you learn thinking and research. So when they do in class, they, they can, mashallah, do, do really well. and I I'm just giving you ideas. that Don't let it stop here. Whatever you're doing, it's wonderful, right? And it has to be commended, but don't let it stop there. There's a lot more you can do, and that you can provide to the world. Because we need to be useful people for the world. Um, so anyway, I went to Madrasah, like I said I was going to give you my biography, so I'll just quickly give you my biography, right, if it matters. I finished, my, uh, I finished the memorization of the Quran about 16. Then I went into alim class. For six years I studied. Uh, did, you know Arabic and Hadith and Tafsir and, and so on. I had some wonderful teachers. But then I wanted to study for further three years outside. So I went and I studied uh, in... Uh, I, the first year I went to South Africa. I did a BA honors degree at the university. I did the Mufti class uh, in the local mother stuff. Then the next year I went to study in Syria uh, before all of these bad, uh, uh, b- before the bad situation, may Allah bring it back t- uh, to its good old times. It's a wonderful country, mashallah, always Very, very illuminated country that was. May Allah bring it back. And then the third year, I came to Saharanpur to do the Mufti class again because I wasn't satisfied. I'm still not satisfied, but uh, I wasn't satisfied, so I did the Mufti class again. Then I went to America for eight years. I became an imam there in California. And then I was going to go on to a law degree there, a JD. But then I came back to England because my mother had, uh, became sick. Uh, may Allah have mercy on her. And then I started a Master's and PhD at SOAS and I just finished that. Uh, then I did one year postgraduate research at the Cambridge Muslim College. And then I made a conscious decision to come out of academia. I may go back into it, but I came out because London, just London alone, right, not the whole of England, but London alone has at least 500 male, uh, male and female alims and alimas graduates. And what I'm trying to provide for them with all the experience that I've gained in these spaces is um, to, uh, it, basically we've established a, a postgraduate institute for alims and alimas. So we teach them some additional courses just to give them more relevance. We have the theology course because nowadays there's a lot of people out there who are, uh, undertaking, uh, sorry, who are, uh, uh, atheism is on the rise. Because you've, if uh, uh, you look from the 16th century, atheism has already, always been around. There's always been somebody who denies God. They've always been a minority. Atheists will always be minorities, but uh, they, they were hidden. A lot of the time it was children of clergy, uh, children of uh, clergy uh, in, in Europe. And a lot of the time they were try to spread some ideas of atheism in a uh, in a coded way, because you couldn't be openly atheist, because the church ran Europe. Europe was run by the church uh, until quite recently, even, in a sense. But now, uh, with the likes of Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris, Christ- Christopher Hitchens, etc., right? It's become quite militant atheism in a certain degree. To a certain degree, uh, some are very eloquent. That's why you got a lot of YouTube vid- videos and debates. And if you don't know much about your own faith and you listen to them, you, will get, you could get confused because when you don't know the alternative side, then clearly you just become convinced by what you hear. And unfortunately, most people, they don't do thorough research uh, of both sides before they actually accept. Now, in my job as an Imam and a Counselor, I have to be very careful. One side, of the, one side in a conflict will come and tell me all the bad things about the other side. Now, if I take their word for it, then I've already failed in my job because unfortunately each side will be biased. They will magnify and exaggerate their side of the story. And then it's only when you listen to the other side that you get a balance. So I have tried to habituate myself to suspending judgment until you hear both sides. That's very important. So, uh, So that's the institute that we're running right now. Uh, maybe in about two years, there's an opening at a major university uh, which uh, somebody has offered me. Maybe, maybe we'll take that post. or Allah, I'm not sure. Uh, but we ask Allah for to give us the best because we've got a sh- every one of us is a short life. Everybody's got a. Uh, a uh, uh, there's one professor. He's he's a convert himself, uh, major academic. So I asked him once. I said, Do you know he so, he said, no. I said, because I know he knows Turkish, he knows Persian, he knows German, he knows several other languages. I said, why are you we the Urdu? He said, I would love to, but life is now very short. So, you have to realize that regardless of how we are, wherever we are, mortality is a reality. We're going to die one day. I know we don't like to think about it, but we are going to die one day. And it's a good idea to try to pace ourselves and to place ourselves in the right place. When we get the best of this world, but definitely the best of the hereafter. We don't want to miss out on being we, we don't want to be the best in this world and then we lose out on the hereafter. We want to get the best of both. That's what I call excellence. I know it's difficult. There's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of people that will come in your way to that. But that's the nature of this world. But in Islam, I think we've been given a way to deal with it. So um, there's another hadith I mentioned to you which I find extremely inspiring and motivating. There's a hadith written by Imam Ahmad in his Muslim, and Ibn Hibban in his Sahih from a lesser-known companion whose name is Amr Ibn al Anhu. He's not very well known, he's not a famous like Abu Buraira and so on.
1: Once, he, he says that once the
0: Prophet ﷺ said uh, the famous one is This one is, May Whoever Allah wills good with, um, means good. Whoever Allah wants good for, استعمده. He will use him so, the companions, they were wondering what that meant. So they said, ما استعمله يا رسول الله What does استعمله mean? يا رسول الله, الله عليه So he said, Allah will, before, before that person's death, Allah will give him divine enablement Allah will give him the inspiration and the enablement to do something by which the people around him or her, right, will be satisfied with them. You will accomplish something that will help the people. You will accomplish something by which people will pray for you. Today, when I read the uh, a book that has helped a lot of people for example everybody knows imam bukhari's main book right everybody's heard about it where was imam bukhari from bukhara is in uzbekistan right bukhara is in uzbekistan unfortunately it, it no longer retains the scholarship and the environment that it had before. Uh, Bukhari is from the, is from the same area. But so basically, would he have ever known that somebody in London, somebody in America, somebody in Bangalore would be reading his book and saying after his name, rahimahullah Allah, May Allah have on Do you think he ever thought that? Amazing. He died in 246, I believe. Egypt. We're in 1440 around that time. That's 1200 years leading, but we still remember him today. And there's many other people like Imam Nawabi, Imam Ghazali, Imam Gilani. There's so many people. They produce something which is still. Then you have the likes of Ibn Rushd, Abi and others who produce a lot of uh, you know, science or uh, 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 other breakthroughs. You've got um, a number of others. Unfortunately today, Muslims struggle, right? I- I- I'm still working my way through this spell. There's a lot of research that needs to be done for a lot of things related to Islam. But the problem is that there's no money there, there's no funding there. That's the problem. A lot of people wonder where the Muslim scientists are. There's a lot of Muslim scientists. But they're sitting in western institutes. They're sitting in Harvard and Cambridge, in Princeton and Yale and Stanford. That's where they're sitting. You know, I've lived in America. Nearly every hospital has a doctor, Dr. Khan or Dr. Ahmed, either from, you know, somewhere in the Indian subcontinent. Whether that be from this country or your neighbouring countries. Is it taboo to take the name of your neighbouring countries? <laughs> or is it okay? Um, there are so many Palestinian and Egyptian uh, scientists in different, in different universities. Unfortunately, their own countries don't respect them. Right? This is a serious problem we have. Alhamdulillah in, uh, in India it may still be a struggle but You know, you have a lot of freedom here, which is a wonderful thing that you can actually do some studies. Of course, you have to find funding. And I think uh, what Muslim organizations need to understand is, I don't think they've got the idea of paying for somebody's research. Are there any Muslim research or uh, funding organizations that just provide you three-year research for something related to Islam and science, for example? Is there anything like that? No. People know that we need to spend money in disaster areas, in feeding the poor, uh, in very West is the mother us. But unfortunately, this part is lacking. Uh, uh, Cambridge University College, they are funding two research positions this year for uh, Islam and science related, uh, and I know one of them is at least, uh, one of them is doing research on AI, Artificial Intelligence. We need a lot more um, Muslim funding for talented uh, young men and women who will do the right research so then uh, again as I said I'm thinking my way through this so I don't have anything conclusive yet uh, but, but that, that's an area that inshallah I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us in but this hadith is very important you can do whatever you want it doesn't, you don't have to be an alim a, a scholar of the deen as such to be able to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can be whoever you are as long as you follow the basics of the deen. And then you have the right intention in what you're doing. Intention is very important. Unfortunately in the competitive world we're in, it becomes about personal gratification. Personal accomplishment. I'm not saying personal accomplishment is a bad thing. You have to have some level of confidence inside to be able to think, I can do something. That's nothing wrong with that. But to to do something just for me, 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 that's, that's not so healthy. You need to believe in yourself that I can do something. But there's an ulterior, there's a lot more to it than just me. Right, it's not just about my name. I can have my name, I don't mind having my name. But my intention is Empathy is compassion. Is helping others. Is to satisfy God. To satisfy Allah. And hopefully, then, if something is accepted, for example, there's another great scholar. His name was Imam Malik, one of the great scholars of uh, Medina, Munawar, um, One of the madhabs of the people of North Africa. It, it's their Maliki's because he developed a madhab, a school of thought, as well. He wrote a famous book called Al-Wakta. This was his collection of hadith. Somebody came to him and said, there's others who are also writing a book with a similar name. Now, are we going to go for copyright infringement? I don't think there was any copyright database in those days or I don't think there were any copyright solicitors. I don't think the courts were like, what are you talking about copyrights here, right? they were not necessarily plagiarizing his work, it was just they did their own collection and called it uh, the Mu'ata, for whatever reason. Right? I'm not saying they had bad intentions. But somebody came to Imam Ali and he said, this is what's happening. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, That which is gonna be for Allah, that which you do in sincerity for a higher motive, that will remain. That will remain, that will endure. And that which is not done for the sake of Allah will disappear, will disappear. That's why to be honest, in the academic world, do you know what the statistic is of somebody reading your academic paper, how many people in a lifetime will read the, your paper? Unless it's an exceptional paper. I'm sure you all are right, exceptional papers, but the average paper, research paper that's written, tell me how many people access it and read it. What's the you know like on JSTOR? Do you guys use JSTOR? What other what do you use here? Do you know JSTOR? Article database? Right? What is the statistic? Anybody know? It's about seven reads. In the lifetime of that article. You work so hard, you get it peer reviewed, and then seven people read. Not saying that should demote you but it's just a sad fact. Now, that's what I don't want to do, so I've gone mainstream. My books are written uh, with a level of academic, uh, you know, um, rigor, but I'm intending it for the mass, because I just feel that that's what I want to do. I'm not saying you must do that, I'm saying that's what I want to do, I feel more accomplished that way. Right? Again, these are just ideas. So hopefully, I think, uh, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to open it up for, 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 discuss, uh, for discussion, that's why I just want to say that I hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us... A famous dua. Oh Allah make us the, the keys for goodness. Allah has given you something, an ability, a capability. If you can use that to open up certain doors of goodness that the world can benefit from, as opposed to use the ability Allah has given us to open the door of wrong or evil. Generally most people are followers. Right? They are not willing to uh, go against the grain. Right? Some of us like to go against the grain and do something different. But there is a risk in that which we have to be careful of. Those of us with a radical bent Inclination wants to do something different. Sometimes we're pushed to do the wrong thing. And that's where you waste your time. It's about getting it right. And for that, what I always do is I always consult people, others. What do you think of this idea? What do you think of this? How will it be received? Is there benefit in that as I perceive it? or is that just a misjudgment? Always helps a lot. So we ask Allah for the uh, the best for all of us and um, I will open it up inshallah for any discussion that you have. Uh, I think the idea is that you should be able to feel free to discuss whatever, anything that's weighing on your heart, uh, anything that has caused you any kind of disconcert. I don't have the answers to everything, I'll tell you that from now. And if I don't have the answer to something, I will tell you so. Right? I don't see that as a sign of weakness. In fact, I think that the weakness is to feel like you know everything. Because I'm sure everybody here knows you can't know everything. Uh, somebody came to Imam Abu Yusuf, one of the great uh, Imams of the past. And he was sitting on the 3rd step of the pulpit of the member in the masjid and somebody asked him a question so he said I don't know, that I believe. I don't know the answer so the person was a bit frustrated, he said you're sitting up there and you don't know the answer he said yes, I'm only sitting according to my level of knowledge if I set, sat according to the level of my ignorance I'd be up there instead right? ignorance is a reality and we should just, uh, I will use this, I will write the question down I will use it to go and research it afterwards so please uh, feel free to uh, to engage so everybody heard the question, what should be my intention uh, whether in my work or whether in my studies so as I gave you the example before uh, of my son looking for the right course and we felt that physics was the right thing for him as an alim and also because physics allows you to uh, go into computer science it allows you to go into so many other fields that are related. It's not a dead-end subject as such. And while you're studying, you learn a lot as well. So, the intention, I believe that uh, the richness of Islam is found in the ability to have multiple intentions. <laughs> Actions are according to intentions. Who said you can't have multiple intentions? You can have multiple intentions for a single act, single activity. The only time having a multiple intention is a problem is if one intention cancels out the they contradict three intentions. Right. So the intention for working and the intention for studying needs to be, in my opinion, and again, you could you know, come up with other ideas, it doesn't have to be limited. Uh, is that number one, I want to earn a halal living, if it's a work. Right? There's nothing wrong with that, that's a sunnah, especially for men to provide, that's a special sunnah, right? It, uh, yeah, that, that's important, right? Um, I want to contribute to society, not just to Muslims, but to humanity as a whole, right? That's in itself uh, uh, another, wanna, it depends on what you're, what you're doing. Right? It depends on what you're producing what you're researching. So Of course your research area needs to be very carefully thought out. So the attention could be multifold in the sense of I want to earn a living for myself, I want to help my, uh, uh, my cause, I want to uh, benefit others, I want to... Now, it could get a bit complicated. I want to make a name for myself Not because I want to be famous, for the sake of being famous and put myself on Facebook all the time and everything. No, that's not the idea because unfortunately that's what Facebook allows you to do today. And Instagram, right? Uh, People with absolutely nothing, no capability can just basically dress up in a certain way and sometimes become famous. So, I want to be known so that I can help a higher cause because some causes you have to be known and influential to be able to make a difference. It, that's a very, it, it, it's a very complicated one because you, we, sometimes fame gets to us. You know when you start receiving the awards and the accolades fame gets to you. That's why the heart needs to be constantly nurtured to keep us down because any kind of knowledge will push you up. But you need a heart full of Dhikr of to keep it in balance. Otherwise, you, we get too full of our stuff. It's very easy to do that. Very easy to do that. So multiple intentions, ultimately, as a Muslim, our intention should also be that, that I want to please Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. That I want to please Allah with the work I'm doing. And you know, once you get that intention, then you'll be able to overcome a lot of the difficulties within your work. You'll feel a sense of contentment because inshallah you're doing it for the right reason. And Allah will place upon you blessing in your work, and just contentment is amazing. That's why sometimes, even if you get a bit shortchanged or you do have a suffer a bit of setback somewhere, the beauty of a believer, the beauty of a believer, is that he is successful from his intention, even if the work doesn't come to be afterwards to fruition, because we get a lot on our intention. It doesn't mean you can make empty intentions. where you've got no capability, it's not making intention, right? You have something behind you. You know, you think you can do it. And then, even if you fail afterwards, Allah will reward you for it. So we ask Allah for success. Okay, let's take these questions. I am a converted Muslim, reverted Muslim. What are my responsibilities for my non-Muslim parents and siblings? The one of the wives of the Prophet صلى الله عليه who was it? Um Muhadiba, who was it? It was another one. She had a non-Muslim mother. So when she came, uh, the Prophet she asked the Prophet, What's my rate? What? He says, No, you need to honor her. You need to honor because at the end of the day we're connected by blood, kinship, and this is a very important relationship, even across religions. The fact that you are the brother or sister of someone, the daughter or the son of someone, the mother or father of someone, that's not something you chose. That's something that God gave us, and there's a reason for that. So we have to respect that. The only barrier is where it contradicts with the faith. Like, if they tell you, as Allah says in the Qur'an, right, that you must have obedience to your parents, there is no obedience to any of creation when the disobedience of the Creator is involved. Aside from that, there is nothing else. But that doesn't mean that you be rude to them even if they tell you to do something wrong. You just have to be nice and polite. But firm in your way, but polite. Respectful. That's what's important. I know it's very difficult sometimes to be in, especially if your general extended family are not Muslim and they're not accepting, it's very difficult sometimes. But you have to remember your reward is even increased and it's now your challenge to show them the best part of Islam. And I've seen it in many cases that after years and years, it may take years, that they finally understand the beauty of Islam, but you are the representative. So your responsibilities are just like any other responsibilities uh... as any family would have, except that you can't get involved in anything religious that contradicts your religion, that is that that is important. Another thing I want to clarify, it is not your responsibility to make them Muslim. Which basically means that everyday that's what you talk about. Because eventually they're going to put a wall, they're going, to, they're going to say, we don't want to speak to anyone because that's what you speak about. But to do it through our behavior, the Dawah, the invitation for them, needs to be from our own behavior. We need to prove to people that Islam can provide a solution, not just saying it provides a solution. There's a lot of empty calls out there. But it's about proving it, showing it, demonstrating it. The Prophet ﷺ is wonderful. The Quran is wonderful. You can't tell people look wonderful Quran, wonderful Prophet, wonderful seerah, but we do something else. That's the difficulty. It's difficult, but may Allah make it easy. Assalamu alaikum just want to have your opinion about face covering and also the ruling about music. or oh, come on. These are like so common questions. I don't know if you would have to ask me some complicated questions. This is what I say about face covering. Right? The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم's covered their face. In the time of the Prophet most women in Medina Menorah covered their faces except the slave girls. Once Prophet ﷺ saw a slave girl with her face covered, he pulled it off, he says uh, there needs to be a distinction between the the free women and the slave women. Alright, now please don't ask me a question about slavery now. Um, This is what I say. When somebody asks me, how long does your beard need to be? Is it why you have a long beard? Is it why you to cover your face? My answer to them is this, it is a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's why I have it. A friend of mine is a convert, American convert. He went to study in Turkey, he came back to America. He used to wear a turban in Arizona where there was nobody else wearing a turban. And uh, somebody came to ask him the question, why do you wear this? It was actually another Muslim. Why do you wear this? So he said to him, I can't answer your question. Why? Because it's so personal. The reason I wear it is because, not because it's necessary, right, the turban, the Imam, is because my prophet, who I re- rate as the best living person ever, he used to wear one. And I just want to be like him, so it's a very personal thing to me. Right. So, when it comes to face covering and beards and so on, this is why I say, if you cannot do it today, that's fine. But just don't justify it. There's a lot of things I can't do today, which I'd love to do. My intention is, inshallah, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe next week, next month, next year, ten years' time. But I'm going to do it one day before I die. Oh Allah, give me himma Give me the, the ability to do so. I want to be as perfect as possible and accomplished as possible before I die. There's a lot of things we can't do. That doesn't mean that we justify that they mustn't be done, no, whatever. And you must just develop the Iman, develop the confidence, inshallah, to do it. And you will if you ask Allah with sincerity. So that's the way generally I answer this question. Because if I tell you it is necessary and you think that's too harsh, you're going to say, forget this guy, it's too harsh, I'm not going to accept it. And if I say it's not, and there's people who believe it is, then they're going to say, well this guy doesn't know what he's too liberal, forget it. So what's the point? The point is practice, isn't it? The point is practice, it's in the Qur'an. النَّبِيِّ قُلْ لِأَزْوَاجِكْ وَبَنَاتِكْ مِنْ Right? That's the basis of it. There's a lot of difference of opinion about how exactly that should be done. But anyway, all I would say is, if you can't do it today, make an intention to do it tomorrow. That's the thing make an intention that we want to be perfect in every way of our faith and we ask Allah for help as seeking knowledge of the deen particularly is the prime duty of every Muslim but from where can we get the authentic data especially the working women working in a remote area MashaAllah today, alhamdulillah, Allah has provided us as Communities have become more scattered, and as people have gone to live in remote areas, as long as you've got internet there, then Mashallah, you can study whatever you want, right? Uh, some Academy, which we have free lectures on, we have people listening to it from Australia to, you know, just in the last five six days, the questions that I've received, only three from UK, all the other questions from Ethiopia, Addis Ababa. Ethiopia, from Sweden, from even from India all, where, wherever where that is where is that? Right? So, one from Bangalore The internet is amazing, this is the beauty of the internet, to go and study right, and especially for women in the comfort of their own home and the benefit is that on if it's on YouTube or on the website the shape is at your disposal you can speed him up to double the speed if he's taking too long or one and a half times the speed you can say no please say it again and rewind and redo it there's so much flexibility now so I don't think anybody's going to accept unless they're living like in a desert with no access <laughs> then why are you living there? Authentic data. Sorry? Authentic data is- now the authentic data there's a lot of confusion the problem with the internet is there's a lot of confusion there are people out there on the internet saying this is halal that's haram and that's halal and all sorts of crazy things, right? That's really confusing. I think what we need to do is you need to find first pray to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Oh Allah, show me the truth, as the truth, and allow me to follow it. And show me the wrong as the wrong, and allow me to abstain from it. Oh Allah guide me, guide me. I want to learn the truth. Then find some who you trust in their knowledge, in their behaviour. Uh, and other ulama respect them. You know, if you go to so somebody who's claiming to be a medical doctor but nobody else respects that doctor and thinks that they are charlatan, right? Would you go to that doctor? People in that industry, they know who's respectful, you know, who's respectable. That's why, ask the people knowledge you don't know. No, I, I use that a lot. I will find out what the people, what the ulama think about a certain thing. And uh, if that's the case then you go That These are certain guidelines you can use and ultimately Allah will provide you if you got it. But uh, hopefully that's helpful. Okay, I'm going to have to hurry up now because there are questions in less time. How to deal with non mahram in our labs, class, me- uh, mess, everywhere we go they are uh, though they may be there, how one should behave in such environment? That's a very good question. If you're already at university then one of the biggest challenges, especially, I'm assuming... um, yeah, I'm not sure if this is from a man or a woman, but it's the same. You have to be very careful. Especially if you're not married and you're at the age of marriage. Then we have hormones, right? We have hormones and they're aging, right? And there's an attraction. So it gets very difficult. Now, for some women, some men will come and praise them, oh, you look so beautiful. Halaf, uh, Right? Be careful with these things. Right, be careful. Some men, they sit with women and they say, oh, we we're just giving them dawah. Right? These are all excuses, you have to be very They, they say that uh, there's a few keys. they say. You have to be professional in your, uh, in your, uh, because sometimes you're working together. It's a very what happens is that you know when you're working together on a project there will be certain successes and when humans do something together, whoever they are there's a bonding that takes place right, naturally there's a bonding then there's high fives that they give each other right? in fact one person who would try to be religious but try to be cool in the wrong way so he would say, well let's do a high five like this you know, let's do it like this, it's a stupidity I think, I think it's a stupidity, right? You don't need to do all of that. You need to express yourself in a way that shows you're honorable and dignified, and that you're not gonna mess around like this. Because when you get into this, it, it distracts your studies and everything, and it's hard. And you could end up doing hard. And that's Sinan, that's problematic. So be professional, don't get too personal, and your communication needs to be uh, uh, in, a, in a very professional environment. And I think that, that, that should help. And always keep making du'a for Allah to protect you. But be very careful with this. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a fitna everywhere. It's, uh, it's a difficult one. But may Allah make it easy. how to make the atheists interested about the existence of Allah they basically argue on if Allah created us then who created Allah, how Allah came into existence um, I don't think there's a with, when it comes to atheists and believing in Allah I don't think there's a straightforward answer to any of this we last year we ran a course called the theology course, faith foundations course so we went through all of the Proofs for the existence of God. The teleological uh, 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 proof and the, the cosmological proof and all the others. And we were wondering that we should probably undertake a study of maybe a hundred atheists, put each one of these proofs in front of them, see which is the most effective. Right? We thought, let's design a study. But as we carried on going through, we realize that you can't, it, it, you won't be able to, because um, in America, there's a some atheists, right? As there are in lots of places. This particular atheist is Muhammad. Something, and I thought that was a weird oxymoron. Muhammad, the atheist. How do you get Muhammad who's an atheist, right? It's just a weird oxymoron. But they were going around different universities trying to explain to people what it, you know the challenges of being an atheist.
1: So one person
0: asked him a question. Said. Uh, would it, how's your family been? said, are oh, we be disowned from our family? Um, then he said, wouldn't it have just been easier to believe? And he said, that's the problem. We can't believe. And that's what shocked me. That's what woke me up. We can't believe. The reason for this, Imam Ghazali went through a, a kind of a crisis, like, where he said that people born in Christian houses grow up to be strong Christians, Jews, strong Jews, Muslims, Muslims. That doesn't prove the truth of your religion. So let me start from a neutral position. Let me only take the absolute, the axiomatic beliefs, things that everybody agrees with. So he said, I started looking into what can be considered to be axiomatic, just like Two is greater than one. That's supposedly an axiomatic belief. Right? He said, but when I opened the door of skepticism, even the very fundamental, agreed upon ideas became open to skepticism. He explains it very beautifully. He says that, you know, when you're seeing a dream, when you're in a dream, don't you feel like you're in a reality? If you're seeing a nightmare, and you feel like you're in an accident, or something happened, or you failed an exam, or whatever. You tomorrow, so you have an exam, may Allah give you success in your exam, right? But in your, you know, you feel like this. And then suddenly you, you're sweating and everything, you wake up, and you feel alhamdulillah, that was just a dream. But when you were in the dream, didn't you think it was a reality? Did you feel that it was not a reality? It's a reality. Right now, is this a reality? Is this really taking place or is this another sleep? And we will wake up from this and this will also be a dream. Can you prove it that it's not? Can science prove it? Can any, any subject, uh, can any discipline prove this? We just hope it's not a dream, right?
1: We just hope it's not a dream. It's been long enough, it's a very long dream so it should be okay,
0: right? But sometimes dreams are very long as well and then you wake up from them. (coughs) That's when he realized that, for example, somebody says to you that uh, you tell somebody, I'm, you know, my father's, my mother's son. Prove it. Here, yeah, birth certificate. Birth certificate is not proof, You can probably forge them in right? Can't you forge birth certificates? You probably can, right? It's forged. DNA testing. DNA testing is not 100%. A friend of mine, his wife is the head of a really prestigious uh, fertility clinic. They had a couple who came in All the test everything, test tube, you know, IVF, everything, uh the, produce the child, now the husband is rejecting the child. They had to go and test all of the couples who came in between to see if there was any cross-contamination. No problems in that, no problem in procedure. Then they had to consult with one of the top uh, um, geneticist, I think he is, uh, in America, I don't know who he is, and it was an exceptional circumstance, right? So even DNA, give you 100% is about 99% or whatever, it's not 100%. If somebody wants to be skeptical, there's no end to skepticism. There's no end to skepticism. That means you have to agree at a certain level. Which level do you agree at? And I think, at the end of the day, I believe that anybody who truly wants the truth, Allah will help them if they ask him. Otherwise, you could end up, somebody could end up at a very low level of, uh, you know, what is uh, absolute to them. That's why before you had atheists, agnostics, apathists, that's relatively less known. Apathists is somebody who just doesn't care. Doesn't even want to care, doesn't even want to search. Atheists deny. La like ilaha they say. They just don't say illallah. Right? They say there is no God. And then halfway, we just need them to say illallah. Right? Um, agnostics say we can't. No. You still have to keep looking. I think somebody came up with that idea and said we need to keep looking. So somebody's taken that and essentially followed that idea that we need to keep looking. Otherwise it's an absurd idea. Humans have been looking for so long somebody must have got it and if nobody's ever going to get it then nobody will get it. That's just my primitive way of looking at it. That's why there's another group now. There's a guy I read. His name is David Edelman. Uh, he writes from The Brain. We have a wonderful book called The Brain, The Story of You. A really wonderful uh, book. He's researching The Brain. He he says there should be a concept of possibilist. Which means that you're inclined to think there has to be a God. Because most studies will show that. Otherwise, you'll have to come up with some wacky ideas to otherwise justify it. Right? And remember, God is metaphysics. It's not physics. So that's why physics can't answer about God anyway, because it's metaphysics, it's beyond physics. Right? Scientists. Science is fine. Islam has never had a problem with science. Science is neutral. It's supposed to be neutral, Because science doesn't deal with aesthetics. Science doesn't deal with God and belief. It doesn't deal with beauty. Those are things for other subjects. Problem is that because science is a very powerful tool, scientists have subjectivity. And they bring in their subjectivity into their work and cloak it as science. This is where I believe the problem is. That's why Yale, I think it was Yale that did two studies, I think in the last two decades or sometime, to try to understand what is the statistic level of atheists. And believers within the scientific community. And by the second uh, research, they discovered that it represented the same proportion in normal in normal life in normal people. There are the science that is not supposed to make you a atheist, right? That's why, for example, evolution. And I would suggest you go to SouthernAcademy.com. We've got two or three lectures on evolution that are really good. Really taught me a lot. They're done by Um, Mufti Zamir Rahman who was uh, a medical student at uh, Cambridge University and then he became an alim afterwards, right? And this Dr. Usman, he's doing, uh, uh, Maulana Usman, and he was doing his uh, PhD in biology from from London somewhere, right? They've done it really well. It's the same thing. Nobody's willing to question because it seems like it's an absolute. Many ideas in evolution are seen, are shown to be absolute and unquestionable. There's a book I read called uh, It's Not Rocket Science. Right, really wonderful exposition for a layman like me to understand science. When it came to evolution, it was not convincing at all. He literally said, "This has to be accepted. Right? You can't question this, even though there's no proof." Right? So it's just uh, when you become a believer of certain scientists and you feel you have to toe the line, then you, live, you lose your objectivity. That's a problem. Otherwise, science says Islamists never have with science. Christian churches, Islam has never had a problem with science. We do have a problem with certain scientists who are using science in a different way. But that's a challenge for people inside the community because sometimes some of those ideas dominate. And to work your way through that as a young person who's just trying to make it, very difficult. But there's a job for you, right? That's something you need to work with. So where did we start from? Um so this idea about who created Allah, I think it's very simple to understand that. Is that eventually the causal chain has to stop somewhere. I don't think anybody agrees with an infinite regress in a causal chain. That A created B, B created C, da 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 and then he created him. That's just absurd. So eventually you'll get from us to our parents up to Adam Islam, right? Take it, you know. Who created Allah? Allah is. But who created Allah is a logical question. Now, how do you answer? Okay, then let's just say that Allah is God 1. God 2 created Allah. Okay, who created God 2? God 3. Who created God 3, God 4, 5? Infinite regress. That doesn't answer anything. The other option is to say, God 1 was created by God 2, and God 2 was created by God 1. Well, no, that's simply your reasoning So, what kind other of thing? I mean, that's why Hellenistic philosoph- philosophers of the past, like Aristotle, etc., they called God the... I think they call him the unmoved mover. Right? The unmoved mover. He's moving everything. It's just another way. Uh, you can say the first non-contingent... Well, the only non-contingent beginning. These are all various expressions of where their minds have eventually, you know, uh, allowed them to reach without any absurdity. So, I believe anybody who has this issue, you can try. It, right? You can try to explain to them who God is, but I would depend. A lot of people ask me, that, I've got a friend, which book should I give him on Islam? Now, you can't just recommend one book. It depends. Is he scientific? There may be a scientific book on Islam. Is he philosophical? Give him a philosophical book. Is he spiritual? He doesn't care what science is all. It's philosophical. Philosophical. Right? There's many ways of explaining. But at the end of the day, it's not our obligation to convince the world. Many people, they come to me, I've got a work colleague, there's a man, and he's saying, the work colleague is a woman. I've been telling her about Islam for two years, but she won't accept. What should I do now? So I leave her alone. Why do you want to come to this earth? Isn't there hundreds of other people you can convince? Right? That's just a joke, way. But that did happen. Um, But I believe that it's through beauty. A lot of people have disregarded God because why is France so anti-religion? Not just anti-Islam, why is it anti-religion? It's only only anti-Islam more than others because other other religions have pretty much become passive. It's only Islam that's still active. So that's why it's more against Islam. They hate all religion because they were persecuted by the church in the whole of Europe. They were persecuted most. There's a book you should read if you're interested in this subject called Atheists, The Origin of the Species. It, 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 it's a pun it's a on uh, Darwin's book. Atheists, The Origin of the Species. Beautiful exposition by, I forget his name, um, but he, when he has the chapter on France, he says French fury. Because they are furious against religion, they, because they've been persecuted and it's in England, there's a woman she called me once from Pakistan originally Pakistani she's married to a non-Muslim and now she was concerned about something so I said, how did you end up marrying a Muslim? she said, my parents forced me to marry my cousin or somebody from my relatives in Pakistan we had no compassion. so I finally escaped the marriage and Essentially what happens is a lot of people they use religion to justify culture. They don't care about religion anywhere else, but when it comes to you you must marry her, then this is Islam tells you love because I'm your parents. Right? And it gives the people a wrong idea. So that's why a lot of the time people who've lost their faith is because of disenfranchisement. It's because of feeling isolated, having a bad experience. I believe you should show them love. You should, pastorally you need to deal with people, not have an argument with them. You need to show where the weakness is. You know, it has to be a long-term debate to find out and then try to help them. If you're serious about it. Night and day are continuous process. Night changes into day gradually, their graduate advice. If Allah descends to the heaven, to the lower heaven and goes back, then he will miss some of his servants. How to understand this? Is a very good question. Okay, there's a hadith which says that at the last portion of the night, God descends to the first heaven and says, "Is there anyone to ask? I will give them." It's, it's. So, the aqeedah of the vast majority, if not the overwhelming ahlu sunnah wal jama'ah, is that God cannot be characterized by any movement, transposition or any other kind of human uh, action. So, what he's saying, this is figurative, this is metaphorical, symbolic. He's saying that God is closest to you at the last portion of the night. Doesn't mean he physically descends, uh, in fact anyone who believes that would be committing anthropomorphism, which basically means to give God human behavioural traits, which is a blasphemy in the religion. Majority of Allah, there are few who seem to indicate a physical movement. But they've been condemned and criticized. Right? Uh, as mushabbiha, corporal realists, or anthropomorphists. Our belief is that Allah does not move. He is where He's always been, and we don't, we, we, we don't talk about location because He's beyond time and space. Right? This just is that, this time is a very potent this is the time for tahajjah. And do you know why this time is constant? Why it's such an acceptable time? It's simple. Some of the rabbam explain it, that it's the time when the mischief makers of the night are finally gone to sleep. Because it's, it's not one or two o'clock and it's still coming. Right? The evil people of the night, or people involved in haram of the night are finally gone to sleep. The evil doers of the day are not yet awake. That means it's the most poorest time. Right? That, that is the explanation that some muhaddithin give for this, why this time. But it is not to be taken literally that Allah descends, He doesn't need to descend. So that means that question doesn't even arise. Right? There is a one one hadith regarding Surah Yasin. I it is inter- Allah says at the time of sunset it goes to yes. This hadith uh, is quite a confusing one. The hadith says that when the sun sets anywhere, moderate time, it goes and prostrates to Allah and seeks permission to rise again. Now we know that the sun never sets everywhere around the world. It sets one place, it's rising in another. That's essentially what it is. So how do you understand this? So? May God bless the ulama. They never try to dismiss these narrations. They even say, oh, we don't understand it, let's call it a weak hadith. Because it's in Sahih, narrations. So, there's a scholar 150 years ago from Baghdad whose name was Imam Alusi. He wrote Ruh al-Ma'ani. He's got a wonderful, he says, I have asked many, many scholars to give me a satisfying response to this. But they couldn't. But I researched and researched and this is now my theory. This is now my possible explanations. Just to give you an understanding, there's a genre in hadith studies which is called the mushkil al hadith. These are those hadiths which are complicated to understand. They don't seem to fit the reality from our context. What scholars are trying to do is to try to explain them. And if they can't, then they say, we can't explain it, but maybe it's this possibility. And Alhamdulillah, in a lot of them, I found a lot of satisfaction. Okay. So in this one, he says, I've searched far and and this is my final thesis. He says, and to us today, it's very easy to understand. For him, it will be more difficult. I'll tell you why. He says that uh, we have many examples in Sharia of the metaphysical world. Or the post-this post, uh, post this world, Barzakh. You know when people die? They're seen in dreams. Right? We can't legislate on that world because we have no experience, it's not something that you can do through empiricism, right? it's something beyond this world. For example, the Prophet met Musa by his grave, in the Sinai. He carried on and he met him in Masjid al when he uh, led on in his ascension. This is obviously, we are assuming that this hadith is correct as Muslims, we believe it is marriage. Then he went up to the heavens and he met him on which heaven? The sixth one. Right, just before Ibrahim Aesimah met Musa there. How is Musa Islam in one of these places he's buried in his grave? Okay, the Prophet shall be physically is moving around. But Musa Yisrael, what is he doing? When he's supposed to be buried in his grave, what is he doing in Masjid at that time? And then what's he doing up on the sixth heaven? This is the, met- this is the metaphysical world. This is buzzer. We can't legislate on this. There's a possibility. That it's from the realm of possibilities. We, we know that. It's proven. Right? A lot of scientific breakthroughs tell us about the realm of possibilities. Once you can prove something to be a possibility, then the details are secondary. right? So, the soul and the body, now let's introduce the soul. The soul and the body is what humans are made of. In the, in the next life, The soul and the body, the soul could be in one place, it could take on another manifestation, the body could be in another place. You don't even have to have a body. Somebody is eaten by lions, somebody is cremated, totally incinerated, but the soul is still there, you still feel punishment or or pleasure, according to the beliefs of the uh, Nusun al-Jama. Essentially what he's saying is that the sun is just a wall. It's It's a star, it's moving around. It never goes anywhere. But its soul that's representing it goes to Allah. And I think it's really cool because today, we're talking about smart watches. We're talking about remote controlling things. Just opening your car by remote control would be unheard of 200 years ago. They're like, are you serious? Speaking somebody on the phone? That's the realm of possibilities Allah has opened up to us. So, it doesn't mean the actual ball globe of the sun goes. It's the sun, the spirit of the sun, whatever that is, because what he explains is that there are many inanimate objects that have been said to speak. They have a consciousness, though different from us. For example, in other words, in the Quran, Allah says, فَسَوَّاهُنَا سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتِ ثُمَّ استَوَى إِلَى السَّمَانِ فَسَوَّاهُنَا سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتِ Then what did he say afterwards? Allah addressed the heavens and the earth and He said to them come together whether you like it or not and they responded Allah says that they responded they say we have come together in obedience Allah is giving consciousness now a hundred years ago saying an object has consciousness would have been impossible rationally impossible to conceive but today, with AI and with smart objects, your refrigerator at home, your watch, smart objects that speak to you. In fact, the prophet said, "A time will come when a person's lay- uh, straps of his sandals will speak to him." What does that mean? Today, you have Nike. Uh, they have a certain. Uh, they have a certain footwear that. Is communicates with the i watch or the i what is it called? I watch. What's it called? Is it i watch? Don't want to get it wrong. Um, Smart objects. Allah has shown us in our life. That's that could be reality. Or maybe there's something even more to come, because AI is opening up some crazy dark realms, right? That SubhanAllah. I don't even get into them. It's scary. Some of the, the potentials of. Some of the negative potentials. Right? So... um, For me, that's a satisfying understanding of that hadith. Who said that the ball goes? Right? It's it's nafs, it's ruh, it's spirit which goes from Allah. (coughs) Uh, So, uh, we must be very careful that we don't dismiss it just because we don't get it. Right? In fact, there's another hadith which says that, you know when Adan is given then the shaytan that's the one thing that chases shaytan away and it says he passes winds now there's some skeptics who look at this hadith and they say what a crazy hadith why would you say something like this it sounds absurd subhanallah has anybody dealt with horses? No, those are too natural for us and we just deal with iPhones right? <laughs> Somebody who has worked with horses will say that when you get a horse to gallop, it generally lets off winds. Now the hadith makes it quite clear that, that sahaba would have known this because they're in tune with horses and camels and things like that. Right? So how can we dismiss something just because we, we, it sounds absurd to us? Anthropology tells you not to become armchair critics. You have to immerse yourself in the other culture to understand where they're coming from. It's very easy. The Western world likes to criticize everything without realizing what it is. So anyway, that just gives you an example. In Islam, girls are allowed doing job. If yes, women can work. It's just where do you work is the question. You have to find a safe environment. My wife works. She teaches. She teaches women. So she doesn't have a problem. If you don't have women working in certain areas, then we wouldn't be able to run certain things. It's just about finding the best option. That's the difficulty. Uh, there's, um, you know what it is. I- I'm writing a book on marriage right now, and one of the things I've written about is that a lot of marriages are breaking. Some of the most Divorces are documented, are recorded in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd of January. Well, 2nd, 3rd and 4th January. Why? Because in, I don't know about here, but in where I live, Christmas time is parties. And a huge degree of inform, informality takes place. Lots of beer flows. And lots of marriages break up. This is a proper statistic. Highest rates of divorces are in the beginning of January. And these are for those who are married, which is a small fraction of the entire community, anyway. You see, how this is the problem. You will wake up, dress up, make yourself up, right, to see a, to, to appear a particular way, and go to the man and the woman, unrelated. The man has a wife at home, or maybe she's working somewhere else, right? and the wife has a husband at home. You're going to be at work for about 8 hours. Most productive and fresh time of your day. You've just woken up, you've prepared and dressed for Most productive time, you're going to work very closely with people. You. You're going to share failures, you're going to share emotions, you're going to share successes, you're going to develop. Probably, if you been being married, you'll probably get to know a woman at work, or a man at work, probably better within the projects that you do and maybe your own husband or wife. Then you come home and you're tired. And he's tired. Where do you think things are going with this? From a practical level. That's why you just, I'm not saying don't work, I'm saying find the best possible halal work to do. So Islam doesn't say women are not allowed to work. There are many women nowadays with the internet, there's women who are ma- making it big on the internet. Sit and work from the privacy of their own homes. There's so many things you can do. So I can't give you the exact criteria, but I can tell you you need to avoid harm. And if you have an idea, go to the ulama and ask them, like, this is what it is, this seems questionable, what should I do? Right, that's what you should do. <coughs> Otherwise, our Alibaba classes won't run. Women we're not allowed to work. Right? Uh, opinion about the youth getting exploited by internet and mobile phone addiction. Your opinion about it. Um, I think they're wasting their time by not categorizing phone addiction as a proper medical uh, problem. They're on the verge of it, but they're not willing to do it. It's a massive problem, right? Maybe in one of the subsequent bands, we'll be talking about uh, the addiction of this. It's psychological. It is problematic, not just for children. The only reason it's worth is bad for adults. Bad for Olamah is bad for wives, it's bad for everybody, right? But it's worse for children because they're still formational years. And that addiction in those formational years is even worse. My children are only allowed to play on the computer, the internet, whatever, for two hours on Saturday, two hours on Sunday. But to get them off after two hours is like withdrawal symptoms from drugs. It's crazy, and I tell them that my son was uh, it was nine and the other overseas. he said, "Look, you've got withdrawal symptoms. He's only a young boy. So you look, it proves you've got withdrawal. That's why next week you can't have it. We need to put you in rehabilitation." Right? So it's dangerous, and there's so much there's so much study out there on this that you can read. I don't want to tell you about. It. It's so much study. You need to be careful. You have to regulate this. Okay, you said about the situation in Syria. What can we academic scholars do to prevent destruction? Ooh, these open-ended questions are difficult. Because they're very specific. I think what you can do in your position is to try to think how you can better the world in what you're doing. Right? Find something, which I which my whole lecture before was about that. Find something that is not dead-end, that's not just for personal gratification, but something that has empathy for others that you can do whether that means Syria or the Rohingya or whatever the case is. Alleviate poverty, alleviate difficulty, you know invent something that will help people, you know like MashaAllah described that they're they're inventing various different things for people without love water, they'll get Foundation and so on. Find something like that. Moreover could the Muslim world especially sane ones uh, do to stop suddenly share a conflict in which uh, which would solve a lot of problems and unite the whole Muslim Ummah, what can we do? P.S. wonderful speech. Okay, thanks for that. Um, I don't know the answer. It's not my level, and I don't think it's my responsibility. The leaders haven't asked me, right? We, at our little level, have to do the best that we can. But this is at a high level. We must not create conflict within us. It has to start from us. We've got a certain responsibility. Let us see how we can coexist in a proper manner and alhamdulillah I generally tell people right? Uh, in England they look at Pakistan they look at Saudi Arabia I said you can't look at it. Pakistan and Saudi Arabia for an example of how Muslims should live that's a Muslim country, those are Muslim countries you talk in ideas look at India India has survived as Muslims even when Muslims ruled it they were always a minority do you know that? Muslims have never been a majority in the country, right? Fifteen percent, I think. We've always been a minority. But, mashallah, the they figured out ways to... That's why we don't need a minority fiqh, we already have one. Fatawahidriyyah. Yes, the last thirty years or forty years has changed the world. Unprecedented changes that you would never have seen. The world was the same for our five, six, seven, eight... of century before about 50 years ago or maybe 100 years ago but in the last 100 years the way the world has changed is unprecedented and it's never going to go back at least from what we can see it's just that some of us have not caught up yet and have not provided the solutions that we need I confess to that right? some of us ulama have not been able to provide that solution yet I completely confess to that it's a hard job right? but alhamdulillah now I can see now that there are a number of ulama, especially in the West as well, who are picking up now, and they're trying to provide solutions for this modern world. This has been a major uh, contention, right? This has been a major contention. That's why I see good days coming forward, because something has Allah will protect this ulama. We're going definitely going down, and I think if you can get this kitab called uh, uh, Saviors of Islamic Experience, uh, but don't get the Indian translation that's a 50 year old, 1950s, it's very archaic. Try to get uh, uh, the one we published on White Thread Press. Insti- uh, I'm not saying it just because we publish it, we publish it for a reason. It gives you an understanding of the ups and downs of the Ummah. You know, and today what we're fearing, what we're fearing is not the worst of it. We've had the worst times before, but Allah inshallah will take us out, but you and I, all of us, have to make an effort. You can't just blame the Ulema, and we can't blame just leaders, we all have a responsibility, we all have to do a little bits. inshallah. Being a PhD research scholar, how to balance person, professional life, personal personal life, including team, what kind of research we need to do to, for humanity, which includes our Ummah? why Muslim world countries spending money on basic research. I can't answer all of these questions, I mean, what kind of research we need. I'd have to sit down with you, or you will have to come up with three or four ideas, take it to an island and say, what do you think? Right? There are ideas that I've got written down and I have to look through my phone because I've been compiling ideas. But right now I'm, I'm unable to give them to you or talk about them because of all of these questions. But it's not something... You, don't wait for an idea. Think of ideas. Think of three or four ideas. Take them to a good scholar and have a discussion. What do you think? Take them to other professions. What do you think? It has to be a concerted effort to find the right way. Inshallah you will. And always ask Allah. Allah accept me for the service of Your name. Um, how do you balance your personal and professional life, Allah? That's a difficult one, especially those who are bit geeky who love their books. What we don't want to be is that when we're in our lab, we're like the best. When we go outside, we don't even know how to say salam to someone. That's a massive problem that we sometimes have, right? I, I, I've had to, you know, because if I sit with somebody who I have nothing in common with, I find it very difficult to speak to them. But if they're like talking about science or cars or... Not about football. Uh, or some books. Or, or, or the Higgs boson. Or the Stern reactor. It's really Let's talk about it. Though I don't know much about it, but let's talk about it. But... That's... Bill, uh, Bill Gates I read a report about him that one person went to meet him. So he was speaking to him and uh, Bill Gates was like just thinking about something else and just like speaking to him on the side. Only when he brought up a particular subject then he paid attention. Some people are just very geeky. But we have to make a concerted effort to not be like that. Because akhlaq, interpersonal relationships, uh, your neighbors, your family members, they can't be disregarded. That's who we are. We're humans first we humans first. So we have to make an extra effort. And some people are so social so social that they, they can't sit down and concentrate on anything. They just want to talk all the time. These are different types of people in the world. We all have to make an effort to strike a balance. So how to do that will depend on your individual life. But you must give time to everything. For example, there's one brother, he's a very runs a very successful masjid in London. He's now older. One third of his week he spends working as part time. One third with the family, and one third in the mosque. Divides the time. And he's doing it very successfully. You have to, you have to consciously divide your time or th- realize where you're going wrong. And inshallah, that will help you. Uh, why Muslim world countries not spending money on basic research? I think because some of them are just on survival mode. Some of them are just on survival mode, just trying to survive. Or they've got their own petty little uh, problems in other countries, uh, based on their own arrogance or whatever the case is. There's every country's difference, and again, that's not my responsibility. They're, they're way above my pay grade. Right? Uh, suppose I made my intentions to serve Islam after my research. Is this thought I'm doing all my research, Deen. reading every? Word, will it be deen? Mashallah. I like that question. It possibly could be. Again, depending on if you've done it in an educated, qualified way with the right kind of mashwara and istikhara, you haven't got it wrong, like grossly wrong, then yes, everything is your deep. Everything will be deep. Mashallah. Even our eating becomes deen like that. Okay. I am doing PhD in life sciences. Many times we get into the debate regarding theory of evolution, which is quite contrary to our belief. So what should be the ideal argument to seal the debate how to deal with such debate being a scholar of life sciences. I would firstly, not every, we're not Christians. Christians have a problem with evolution completely, like every part of evolution. We don't have a problem with every aspect of evolution. There are many aspects of evolution that are not problematic, right? The main problem in evolution, and there could be others, there are so many related sciences to evolution, right, that it's so difficult to encompass them all. Um, one of the things we have a major problem with is the connection between Adam alayhi and, and some other species before. That's the biggest point of contention. We must be very clear about that. That whether you call him an anomaly in, in the in the circumstance or situation or whatever the case is, right? He was born from nothing. Allah created him from soil and clay. He did not mutate from something, unless you can say mutating from soil, right? Uh, I would suggest you go to some Academy and you listen to those lectures by Usman Ali and uh, Zamil Rahman, Rahman. they give you some start of what's going on. There are very good responses to it, not the extreme responses like Harun Yahya's one. Right, those are kind of extreme. There are much more educated ways of looking at this. Right, so they're not all like just wipe about everything, no. There are certain things like that, so you need to uh, probably get a better understanding of yourself before you can deal with others. And I'm not an expert on it, so I can't tell you, like, the one teaching argument. Sometimes what happens is that we know that doing certain things is not good and sinful, still knowing the one to we be involved into that sinful act, falling into the trap of shaitan. How can we get rid of this kind of act, and after that, what do we need to do? This is a spiritual question, and the main thing is that, number one, we need to develop the heart of spirituality to help us, to, uh, to prevent us from falling into these things easily. When the heart is strong, we develop an, an immunity. You know like when you've got a strong uh, uh, strong heart, strong body, then you're immune to catching a flu. Right? Once I came back from Umrah or somewhere or Hajj, and I had a jacket on. Everybody else didn't. It's the same environment, same temperature, but I had a jacket. I was feeling cold, but they weren't. Are they got a problem? Or do, they, do I have a problem? I had a problem. It's immunity. That's why they say You do a lot of dhikr remembrance of Allah, you make your salat, you do du'a, you read Quran you will develop an immunity less likelihood now if you do fall sometimes you make tawbah, you get up and you carry on to say you will never commit a sin and never make a mistake, that's difficult very few people can do that may Allah make us of those but for the rest of us we may fail let's get up and make tawbah and carry on and make du'a to Allah Doing dhikr and asking Allah for, uh, for, uh, for protection is important. I'm trying to do multiple things in my life. I'm giving my best to please my family, trying my best to get my work done in office. I learn a little bit of Quran. My problem is that I'm getting distracted in salat since I'm tired of it so many things. How can I get for shukhi in salat? Uh, that, this, there's a whole procedure. I would say on Samsung some, some Academy there is uh, how to gain attention or concentration in prayer. The whole whole process in there. It's a holistic way you have to approach it and uh, I would just say you listen to that because we've run out of time, we've gone over time, so uh, I'm going to see if I can answer these questions. otherwise i me going to stop. If I have a Muslim friend who is not following Islam properly, what kind of approach I have to take towards him, if I have any response to making him the right way? We all have responsibility but that doesn't mean you force someone, again, you try to keep a friendship, a relationship. They have this issue. Always try to go to the core. Why do they have this issue? And see if you can help trying to relieve that problem. For some people, it just takes time. Don't give up on people, don't push people either. Just take it easy. Drop, them, plant the seeds, and keep watering them every once in a while. Don't do too much watering. Otherwise, it floods and then they don't grow. Okay? That's what it is. And ask to make a lot of du'a for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make a lot of dua because. At the end of the day, it's a places we try our best. as how to overcome the moments when one in- in- encounters weakness and disappointment during research, when everything's not going well, how to deal with such situations? Take a break, have some coffee, relax, go do two of Salat, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, when he couldn't understand the masr, an issue. We'll make two go in sajda, Allahu Allahumma fahdhu me. Oh Allah, give me understanding. Open up this, open this up to me. Call on your God. Call on your God. Otherwise, just take a break as well. Sometimes it may just be like you have to sleep on it. Right? Because sometimes we get rights writer's block. But call on Allah to make it easy. Is it a good idea to get married and start family during PhD or is it better to wait and not distract and marry after? It depends on your personality and your hormones. I was married before PhD and I'm glad I was married. Right? So, it just depends. Uh, unfortunately, some people can't. It depends on how versatile, how committed, and how hard-working you are. But some people, they get married and it finishes. Thus, finish, Right? Uh, and some people, mashallah, they can carry on. But you need the right spouse. Because you may want... You get married and then your spouse starts crying all day. Right? It doesn't let you study, then you're in trouble. So make dua to Allah to give you the right spouse as well. Make istikhala, make istikhala. There are lots of naats where although they don't use an instrument, but they alter the real voice. Is it allowed to listen? How do they know when it's wrong? How to deal with none? Ah, okay. If you're talking about beatboxing, right, I would say that even though you're not using instruments, if it sounds like that, because there's a lot of things that you can do with equalizers, if it sounds like music, it's going to have the same impact, I think it's problematic. I'm still doing research on that, I but if it's similar to the duff, which is halal, right, in certain contexts, then that would be So It depends. The devil is in the detail. It depends on how it's done and what's done. How to deal with one Muhammad in the world, I think I've answered that. Your supervisor is an atheist, how to protect yourself from thoughts, because you spent a lot of conversation with him. The only way is an antidote which is to develop your understanding of your Quran Sunnah yourself. Once you've understood that, once you solidify yourself, and I would say that you need to avoid any unnecessary discussion. There's no point putting yourself up to danger. Only have necessary discussion. Right? It's we want to protect our iman at the end of the day. For that, for us that's the most valuable. Now, if you've got a brazilitizing professor, that's a nice term, brazilitizing professor, which means that he wants to convert you to atheism. Then I feel sorry for you. Then may Allah be with you. But hopefully that's not the case. They're supposed to be neutral, right, and objective. But as Muslims, you probably have trouble, right? Even just getting through the ranks, because I know there's discrimination everywhere. I'm assuming there's discrimination here as well, right? may you be commended for where you have gotten to and may Allah protect you on the path to further and may Allah open up your path as well for The best of the to recite uh, 100 istighfar in the morning and evening which basically gives you forgiveness if you do it in the evening, everything you've done since the morning gets forgiven if you do it in the morning, everything gets forgiven since the night time so now you're pure, clean, have the shower pure, a spiritual shower now we do 100 salawat in on Rasulullah, morning and evening to invoke blessings on us. And we read a bit of Quran. 100 la ilaha illallah. MashaAllah, that should be very good to start off with. Once you become regular with that, then inshaAllah, the ulema can give you more that we can uh, bring into that. Today, there are a lot of ayahs ideologies, each army says they are correct, others not, by Jummas, which Jama'at is right, who to, to follow. That's why I said in the beginning it's confusing. But what I would suggest you do is to try to find those that you other are also respect. And that you can trust their behavior, their knowledge, sincerity, and uh, you keep asking Allah to help you. That's all I can see, you do four things. Look at their behavior and knowledge. You look at what, uh, what other ulama think of them and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And you just stick to it. This point of view, everything is created, so who crazy God? We answer that. Why those who blindly follow the Prophet doesn't have to do everything he said? I'm aware of his character traits and his reputation before revelation, but does that mean that he should be treated as larger than life personality? You see, To answer this question, I can't tell you who the Prophet was. Once you believe that Allah is your Creator, and He sends a series of Prophets, Muhammad was the last prophet, and everything about Him is supposed to be perfect, because why would Allah send a Prophet that's incomplete? So there's a certain trajectory of thought that needs to take place in understanding this. Then this question won't arise. So I can't really answer it quickly. It's about why he's there now? I know from an academic objective perspective, you know, he, there needs to be a preponderance, there needs to be a preponderator, right? That means a whole topic of why that's the case. But I would say, if you fit into the worldview of what Allah wants from us, through the Qur'an, if you read the Qur'an itself, it will tell you you must take what the Prophet ﷺ says, آتَاكُمْ رَسُولُ an and many other verses in the Qur'an show you the position of the Qur'an as if you you know, want to call it larger than life. Right? That's the reality of being a Muslim. There's a certain leap of faith you must take. Right? And be convinced by that fact. Otherwise, it's quite confusing to do anything else. I'm sorry if I can't answer all of these questions because we want to be disturbed. Why is Allah permitted um, swine and uh, eating pork for Christians? Was after the revelation of the Qur'an these things were prohibited. Allah did not permit it for, for Allah did not permit it for them. In the Bible it's very clear that swine is not permitted. When I found that out myself, I was quite shocked, surprised at why do they still eat so much of it. So I've got a friend who's a Christian, but he studied Islam as well. So I contacted him and said, why? Why doesn't any Christian follow this? He said, I think it was in the third century, they made a decision that dietary laws will not be followed. As a Christian, you don't have to follow dietary laws and restrictions. Even if it says in the Bible, dietary laws are not effective anymore. So, that's you can see where that's taking you. Uh, in fact, a Christian uh, writer, a uh, journalist, just a few weeks ago, I in the uh, I'm not sure which paper he wrote for. He's actually a relative of, uh, uh, of one of the atheists. But he's Christian. He's saying how Christian Christianity has become so diluted that soon people are going to be disenfranchised from materialism and secularism, and they're going to look for God again. Because this is a phase, right? It's only the last fifty years. It's a phase.
1: And he says Christianity will have no longer have anything to offer because they diluted it.
0: Made it a feel-good religion. He says Islam has something. So he's telling the Christians you better look at Islam, that they maintained it. But he then says, Muslims, you better beware because you've also got people telling you to cancel this and cancel that. And make it the same as Christian religion of passive passivity. So he literally says that he's foretelling that secularism is going to fail materialism and people are going to get tired of it. It's not giving you the heart. 25% of girls in England have a depression or something. 25%. I mentioned 50% there by mistake, so 25%, right? That's a huge number of of the population of girls, teenagers, because the world is telling you to be somewhere, but you can't naturally be like that. There's a massive cognitive dissonance that's taking place in many people. They just don't know how to bring the two together. And I know we must do more to try to cater for that, to try to bring it together. There are lots of ideologies in Islam. Okay, we explain that one. It looks like it's a popular question a popular dilemma. Uh, importance of intellectual humility, mashallah, knowing a, having a mentor as a shape to avoid even the way Very good. If you're very intellectual, very clever, very smart, the only thing we have to be careful of, if I call myself that we need to be careful that I don't start doing it for myself thinking um, you know like Steve Jobs when he used to walk into a room he probably knew he was the smartest guy there how does that make you feel right so one way that I managed to comfort my, calm myself down is to always be in touch with some of my shoes right and do the dhikr of Allah because when you have Allah in your heart then you know Allah is the greatest keeps us in check, very important it will really benefit you Otherwise you have empty, empty intellectualism, which is problematic. Um, how religion and spirituality can help the emptiness. Okay, I've just explained that. Jazakallah khairun. Let's make a short dua and to end this. Is Islam opposed to modernity? No, it depends on what you mean by modernity. Modernity is a very vague term. Are we still in even modernity? We're supposed to be post-post-modernity. Right? We're talking about a type of individualism. So who cares what modernity is anyway? It's, it's finished. Modernity is gone. It's been discredited. So maybe the question is what is something of post-modernism or post-modernity? It depends on what you mean by it. So all I would say is that the devil is in the detail. Anything that you're specifically concerned about, take that to a good scholar and see what they say about that. Not everything about modernity is going to be bad, but the false modernity brings on capitalism. Capitalism is problematic, though we're all in it, it's problematic. These are big topics, so inshallah let me stop here.